0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wealthy Expat. This week I've got Liam Rogan on the show from Get Ground in the UK. Um, Liam, it's great to have you here. Thank you for joining me.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for the introduction, Chris. It's, uh, no, it's, it's great to be doing more of these things again. But what, 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 well, we basically spent a year and a half only doing these. And the minute people could kind of see each other again everything um everything went back in person so i kind of miss doing these and they're a bit more relaxed yeah. and kind of in person yeah, so, yeah. thanks for having
0: me no it's it's great to have you here and like you're saying it is a it's a strange reality we live in now it's when you uh invited me last week to come into the office i was thinking i haven't done that in 12 18 months now what what is that yeah, <laughs> what
1: it, feels, <laughs> it feels offensive when somebody asks and you're actually no that yeah. that's the only thing. it makes sense yeah. now
0: but um yeah it's great to have you here nonetheless and um, I'm looking forward to digging into a number of topics with you, understanding how GetGround worked, how the business was kind of founded and, and what its aim is in terms of helping clients around the buy-to-let investment world um, and digging into your predictions and what you're seeing in the market at the moment from a uh, investment standpoint. So I think it's going to be a, a good conversation. But to start off with, maybe it's uh, good to start with a, a general roundup of what you've been seeing uh, over the last 18 to or 12 to 18 months, you could say, since the course of the pandemic uh in a sense but understand what you've seen in terms of the buy to let market and how it has responded and how your product the offering that get grand has has responded has been uh, received in the market really as well so it'd be good to get that perspective to start off with
1: yeah so well, it's been a wacky year and a half is it is the truth so i mean obviously covid was kind of a once in a lifetime if not generational um, occurrence and no, nobody really knew how it would affect markets, um, be they you know your typical financial market stocks and shares versus property, and there was a lot of fear around it. And obviously, with the nature of our business, we were kind of worried about how that would affect us. Um, and we actually didn't need to worry, and um, things actually went well for us as a business went tremendously well. But for the real estate market as a whole, went pretty pretty damn well, truth yeah. be told. Reason being, it, well, at least for, from our perspective is in, in times of panic, I mean, you, you had that kind of first month where everything was hitting where yes, everything kind of shut up and closed down a bit, but off the back of that, you had your traditional financial investments, you know, stock shares, bonds and things like that, plummet 30% overnight. Yeah. And so people, I think in times of fear and in times of uncertainty, go to much more tangible assets, which is what property is, you know, no matter if there's a war on or if there's a virus or if there's some economy, economic crash anywhere in the world, your property is always a very strong, tangible asset. You know, it's, it's very hard for a property to lose 30, 40 percent of value overnight. I agree. And typically property prices at worst stagnate. You know, it's, it's relatively rare they actually depreciate. And so I think a lot of people were, were pulling funds out from their traditional investments and, and putting them into property uk property as a whole has always been seen as a safe haven for, for, for the world It's why there is so much foreign investment in the uk it's always been a safe place to put your money it will you know always grow to some degree or another uh, the returns in terms of a yield perspective are pretty great too and okay. uh and that's exactly what we saw and um, after that kind of first month blip between sort of uh, march and sort of mid to end of april everything picked up from then uh, we work with about sort of two or three hundred real estate partners around the world as well and they saw the exact same thing um, and things picked up again, people who, I, I think so, well, the, the pandemic gave people a lot more time to, um, to get educated and yeah. on, on, on investing and be, it, you know, with, you know, you know, cryptos and things that are <clears> on <throat> the range, lots of property, I mean, there's so much great property related content from an educational perspective out there on YouTube and everything else. And when people have nothing to do and they realize, well, I've got hundred K sat in my bank account, it's not doing anything. Well, yeah. now's the time to learn how to do that. I think there's a big uptake in that. I know a lot of property education companies saw the same. And so yeah, the, the market's been flying. Um, the SDLT holiday obviously helped things as well. I was gonna say, um, yeah. and so September was, it was a big month and um, lots of completions in there. And yeah. admittedly things have gone slightly quieter now, but I think that's only because there was a there was a natural um sort of rise during that period. But it's been it's been a busy period and, and with, with a busy market, it, it was busy for us as well. So so we we've had huge volumes of um of clientele through. And I forget the actual growth metrics, but we have I think we did not far off 10% of the market share for company creation um wow. last month, um, for, for companies related to, to property investing. So it wasn't far yep. off 10% there. And um, yeah, I mean, in, in that period as well, with people get more and more educated around property investing, even those who already have properties and the understanding of limited company structures and how best to structure investments um, became a big focal point of many investors lives. I think that's why there's been an even more increased usage of company structures during that period. And obviously that's been good business for us. Um, yeah, of and the market, the whole it has changed massively. So in 2015 or so, about 15% of buy-to-let purchases were made in limited companies. Last wow. year, that was 60%. So that across that five or six years period, that's grown you know from 15 to 60% that's of incredible. the entire market, which is massive. So it's been a it's been an interesting year right. and a half for sure.
0: Definitely keeping you busy by the sounds of it. That's uh, that's just some impressive numbers though from a from a growth standpoint. And I guess, like you said though, people have had time to now educate and understand how they should structure these investments of theirs um and and we'll dig into it in a bit but i think having that limited company and, and people see the opportunity it presents from a stamp duty land tax perspective uh and, and many other benefits that we'll dig into uh, i guess later on but it's a, that's interesting it's a it's an impressive thing to know and i think to start off with as well uh next question would be around what is get grant who are get grant let's let's give our audience a bit of an understanding of uh what you do and how it actually works uh, before we dig in i guess too much into the, the limited companies but yeah what is uh, who is get grant let's say
1: well what is get grants so is very good question And um, so f- first and foremost we're essentially a, a property technology company and we're aiming
0: to do two things
1: we're aiming to first of all educate investors on how to structure their investments so do a real deep dive into their situation help them figure out what is the best route to actually go because lots of people especially starting off in property will fly into property investing and think, okay well i'll buy this property and i'll get a mortgage and that's everything And they'll be promised, you know, a great yield of seven or 8% and then great returns over the years. But the reality is that those yields and those rental returns aren't real until they're in your account in cold hard cash. And so the aim of the game is, well, okay, which structure allows me to, you know, get as much out of this investment as possible? And how can I protect myself in the meantime? And access as much value from this investment as possible. And that's something people don't give a massive amount of thought to or can be very confused by. So what we try and do is um, educate people around limited companies, help them understand the ins and outs of them, remove all the tax jargon and everything else like that for them and help them figure out if that's the route for them if that is the route for them, we've basically created this uh, technology-based solution for people to take that route, whereby we've created the ground platform where people can set up and structure their company on it. We do very high-caliber structuring of those companies to make sure they're purposely built for buy-to-let investments, so they're structured to make them as tax efficient as possible and everything else like that. Uh, we coordinate with all the players involved in that, so, you know, be the mortgage brokers or the property agent or the solicitors, keep everybody in the mix and help things go uh, very smoothly and efficiently. We also set up the company's business account. So uh, companies in the UK, especially if they're getting a mortgage it, need, need a business account, need a business bank account. Um, these can traditionally be very, very difficult to get, especially for those based overseas. Um, we've managed to create a very streamlined, very easy process, which we can open one of those automatically for clients. And then beyond that, we look after um, uh, everything to do with the company. So we look after the entirety of the financial administration of that company. So that's everything from the corporate tax returns, the bookkeeping, the registered office, secretarial work. Um, we'll even act as a process agent if the client wants us to. And so trying to basically create a tech solution to bring uh, all that under one roof and do it very, very cost effectively. So, so the issue in the past was that as well as it being a hassle to go limited company route and confusing, it was also very expensive. Um, so your typical kind of cost to go a limited company route for services similar to ours, you're looking kind of 17, 1800 pounds a year. Wow. Now, if you're doing that on your first property, that's a that's a huge amount of your 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 rental and um, income yeah. spent purely on just facilitating this company. Um, to mitigate that, and mean, and make sure that investors from the outset can own in the corporate structure and receive the benefits from that. We have a very cost effective pricing um, uh, structure, which is essentially where we charge 20 pounds a month to run the company. So, okay. you know, you go from this huge, you know, 1500 pound plus cost per year down to 20 pounds a month, um, which okay. kind of makes it better. So kind of
0: a- a- sure. Sorry. Um, I was going to say, would you say there's an average sort of saving figure that you have in mind? Per client at the moment, or, or does it really vary depending on, on the situation? It, it
1: varies because you, you, you'll, you'll have people who come to you and say, Oh, well, you know, my accountant Bob around the corner says he'll do it for, you know, 900 quid a year, which, okay, still, you know, three or four times more expensive than we will, but, yeah. you know, he'll do eight or 900 pounds a year. And okay, okay, well, the reality is that it's a bit like mortgage interest rates. Like when people see something advertised, you know, they don't realize that that is usually the base. Um, offering, yeah. the minute you start answer, asking your accountant questions, that's a charge. Whenever you want this extra thing, <laughs> that's, that's a charge. I spoke to the guy. This like, I'm really confused because my accountant said it'd be 800 pounds, and I've just been billed for 1,900 pounds. I'm like, well, exactly. He showed me the list of everything. I was like, well, yeah, exactly. You know, so so uh, it's sense. hard to put that kind of you know typical saving on it, but um, it's, cool. it's considerable. Is the point. Okay. And so we're just trying to make it accessible for everyone because the the issue with property as a whole, as an asset class, it's really archaic. It's really old school. It's really backwards in some ways. And so, you know, if you think how long it takes to purchase um, a property quite often, it can be really off-putting for people because you've got to speak to six different people, a mortgage broker, you know, the lender directly, you know, the property agent, the solicitors, everything conveyancing, can take months and months and months you know exchange completion all of that can can be can be off-putting um and property is quite slow for that whereas your other financial markets stocks and shares and things like that are much much more efficient so what we're trying to do is be part of or a cog in the property market which allows it to run a bit more efficiently so that more people can okay. uh, get involved and not be put off by it um, and make things a lot simpler and cost effective for them
0: that sounds great it sounds great where would you say most of your clients are coming from at the moment is it locally or domestically sorry or internationally
1: it's, it's a real mix. So I think on the actual platform now, in terms of users that we've got on the GetGround platform, I think we're over 6,000 now. Um, and so I, if I was to put a figure on it, I'd say maybe 60% are UK-based, and then 40% are based overseas. So we, we have a massive overseas investment base. We also have um, uh, physical operations overseas as well. So I'm based out of our London office in West London here, but we've also got an office in Hammersmith, and sorry, an office in Hong Kong and an office in Singapore as well. And we'll likely have more in the future as well. So um, yeah, probably 60, 40, um, UK okay. to international. In terms of international, where are we seeing clients from? Um, lots of your traditional hotspots, um, you know, the UAE, um, Saudi Arabia, Hong Kong, Singapore, etc. But we also see them from um, sort of, I suppose, potentially newer markets or, or growing markets. So we, we get quite a lot out of Africa. So South Africa and Nigeria and places like that. Interesting. Um, the kind of gulf states we have a lot of australia and um, which i know obviously you, you have a big connection yeah. to of, um there's a lot of british expats out there but also australian citizens themselves looking to invest okay. in the uk and um, america's growing as well so yes yeah, so it's, it's a real mix back. that's interesting
0: okay that's that's good to know and from the countries you just mentioned are they are they mainly uh, british expats looking to invest back home or is it you know foreign nationals or well, a bit of yes the numbers could vary again a bit of a mix
1: yeah, um, interesting. You would think it would be expats. I would actually say it's probably more um, so foreign nationals. Um, so yes, we do definitely have an expat cohort who, who invest. Um, but I would say, from my experience at least, most of the internationals we have are foreign nationals. Um, some may have, you know, children studying in the UK. That's quite a common one, where they'll kind of invest while the kids are here, type of thing. Um, sure. But um, uh, yeah, I would say generally foreign nationals. Yeah.
0: So it's know I guess it just goes to show the the power of the UK market, property market
1: from an international perspective. It it's Just, and and especially in I mean, if you look how kind of crazy the world can be, I mean, especially, I mean, places like Hong Kong, for example, how how crazy things were in Hong Kong for quite some time and everybody's trying to get out of yeah. Hong Kong and taking money offshore and it's the same with Africa and places like that. Trying to divest away from, we see that a lot with South Africans. They're trying to, divest their money away from the RAND because the RAND's been struggling so much recently Invest okay. in a much stronger currency, you know, the pound. And, okay. and so, so yeah, so that, that has been very common theme.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Well, yeah, some good points, a good background into to who Get Grand Out. And now if we could run through a bit of a scenario from how the process works, if I, if let's say I was going to purchase a like, 200,000 pound apartment in, in Birmingham, for example, what would the process be for me if I approached you and said, let's open a, a company account. Uh, and purchase it within a, a limited company sorry uh, and yeah run through that process but yeah would you mind giving us a bit of a, yeah, a run through well, a bit of a yeah. background
1: uh, what i would say probably as a starter point is the much more common scenario we have is so we're almost an entirely referrals based business so so the two or three hundred partners we have around the world um will um, have clients who are investing with them and they'll be looking at say some units in birmingham as you say a you know, 200 000 unit. Um, and they'll have I've heard of, you know, limited companies or various other vehicles to structure their investment. Um, but they might not know a lot. And they'll ask the agents, they, you know, hey, can you tell me more about this or should I use a company or not? Or should I use this, etc. cetera? And, and obviously those agents aren't qualified or already in the know of how to do that. And so they'll then refer them on to us. And our team of consultants here will have basically as many consultations with the clients um, as needed, all free of charge to help them figure out what's the best route for them. So dig into their own kind of personal circumstances and basically give them enough education that allows them to decide on which route they want to take. And you know, sometimes limited companies aren't the best way to go. And we will very often tell people that. Um, but by and large, actually for most people, that there, there are either all of the advantages or some of the advantages that apply and are very, um, are very worthwhile pursuing. And so most people do end up going down that route. I mean, like I say, 60% plus of buy-to-let purchases in the whole of the UK last year were made in companies. This year, I would imagine that's probably even close to 70, and um, if not beyond. And so, so what will happen is they'll be referred over, they'll have as many consultations as possible. Um, take them through some audited investment examples so they can kind of see how a cash flow might look in, in relation to, to themselves. Um, and then if they are keen to go ahead, they've got two options. So they can either um, go ahead on the platform themselves and set it up. So the GetGround is accessible around the world. It's really easy to do, it's very, very simple. Um, and they can onboard themselves there or they can onboard and design their company with a GetGround consultant. So some people who are a little less sure or just want a bit more kind of clarity going forwards. Yep. Instead of a Zoom meeting, the person will guide them through it as they do it and uh, get their company set up on there. And in terms of the actual process, um, they only really need a copy of their passport, a copy of their proof of address, um, a selfie is taken on the platform for facial recognition purposes, and then yep. details of the property they're buying. So re- realistically, end-to-end, you're talking sort of 15 to 20
0: minutes. Oh, wow. That's an impressive turnaround. That's a very impressive turnaround. Um, Great. Great. Yeah. And, and would you say, so you mentioned a, a point there about it not, fitting all essentially, or not, not a one fit all product. Um, so would you say that it's it's more appealing to people who are higher earners, for example, or, or people that have a portfolio of their own at the moment, or if it's your first investment, if it was your first investment, would you suggest purchasing it in a company or what are some uh, ideas around that?
1: It's really hard to gauge. And um, I, I would say that there's, by and large, relatively few people who aren't going to benefit from it in, in one way or another, there, there's certain situations where um, you'll have somebody who has very, very little income in total and they don't have any children and they're not looking to use a mortgage. And, you know, they they might have saved up 50,000 and they've got a very low sort of um, total income in general. Possibly in that situation, it's not necessarily the best route for them. Um, But by and large, for most property investors, um, it it is. Um, And so, and and there's different facets to look at. So a lot of people, there's so many misconceptions about company ownership. It's why we consider ourselves an educational entity is because it's so hard to get detailed information on kind of the ins and outs on this without paying extortionate amounts of money, um, sometimes unnecessarily, um, yeah. to, to find this out. And so, you know, the, it, people who are aware of company structuring are aware of, um, you know, the, the, the big sort of notable benefit that, that happened in 2015, which is that you can deduct your entire mortgage interest costs from your tax bill which is a huge benefit, but people who aren't using mortgages um, are like, well, that doesn't apply to me, so this isn't relevant. Well, actually, that might, well, yeah. that one might be, but these are, you know, lower capital gains tax on the sale of shares. You know, the incoming buyer doesn't pay stamp duty land tax if you're purchasing the property via way of the shares. You're paying corporation tax rather than income tax. You know, you can protect your first-time buyer's allowance. You can mitigate inheritance tax for your kids. If you're overseas, yeah. it's usually easier to get a limited company mortgage than it is to get a personal mortgage. You know, things like that. Um, and especially in, in the case when people say well, I'm not using mortgages, often people aren't aware of you know the, the sheer power of leverage and you know how say. how useful it is and um, to, to kind of maximize yeah. what we you can actually do with your money. And so what, what we say to people is okay, well that's great, but when you realise about leveraging in six months a year or whatever, you probably want to refinance, yeah. which is Come fine. Back.
0: Exactly.
1: But you know it's too late at that point to economically put that property into a company. So it's like, okay, well, keep it in there for now. And when you finance in the future, and you get a limited company mortgage on it. You can, yep. you can reap you know, the benefits of that then. Um, okay. So I'd say, yeah, but by and large, most investors in one way or another benefit from it. Um, but it's it's their decision at the end of the day. And so we'll, we'll present a very transparent um, uh, take on it to them. If they don't see any value in it, then that's fine. They don't see any value in it. But yeah. the vast majority of people do
0: Okay. That's interesting. I think that's a good point. And and you made a point in there about um, the first home buyers as well. So did you say what was your what was your point there? If you could go back to that as well, was was it saying <laughs> that you're still eligible for your first home buyers? Yes. Yeah, so grant, so, so, so,
1: so a, a, a common use of uh, limited companies in the UK is people often use them to protect their first time buyers allowance, um, so that in the future cool. when they come to purchase a property, um, they can benefit from from that allowance and paying a lower rate of grant, stamp exactly. duty. Allowance. So if you're buying you know, a 700,000 pound property in four years, but you're going to buy an investment property now. You know, it may make sense to put that initial property into a limited company because it means that you, when you come to purchase your future one, you don't already have one in your personal name and you don't have to pay the, you know, the, the high rates of uh, STL. That makes sense.
0: And how many, how many companies could you put, sorry, how many properties, sorry, could you put inside a company? Is it one property per one company or can you you know build your, build an empire, so, uh, so, a property so, empire in it?
1: Yeah, so, so, so legally, you can put as many as you want in a company. That, that, that's not a problem. But something we do quite uniquely on the platform is we actually put um, an SPV or, or a company. So an SPV is a special purpose. vehicle. It's basically a company that's been built specifically for this one purpose, which is to buy and hold this investment property. Um, we, we actually wrap one of those around each property on the platform. Now, when people um, get told that, sometimes it can be a bit shocking because everybody just assumes, oh, you set up you know what, one property, uh, holding company you put everything in that and you know you, you reap the benefits there but yeah. the truth is we 've done an awful lot of uh, legal and financial research into this to figure out basically well what 's the best way to extrapolate as many benefits from company ownership as possible uh, and actually the best way to own is in separate entities okay. and p- people can be taken aback by that when they when they say it and so what what I say is that um, It's a bit of a cheesy question, but, you know, well, why would you hold them all in the same company? And people go, oh, well, um, I don't don't know. I suppose it's easier, isn't it? Or it's it's cheaper, isn't it? Or something like that. And the reality is because we've made the platform the way it is, it's no harder to own them in separate entities on the GetGround platform or any more expensive to hold them in that platform than it is to hold them all in one with another. And the reason we do it without going into too much additional detail is – well, one of the biggest benefits of company ownership is that when you come to sell the property, you can either sell the property from the company or you can sell the property by selling the company shares. Now, when you sell the property by way of the company shares, you're still selling the property. Yeah. It's just that it now has a wrapper around it and that wrapper is the company shares. And when you sell that way, you listed two pretty substantial benefits. The first is that the buyer doesn't pay stamp duty land tax on the purchase of that property. So oh. you as the seller have a price advantage. So if you're selling a property which has you know, would normally incur the buyer £30,000 of stamp duty land tax. They're no longer paying them. And so you as the seller can increase the sale price of your property by, say, £20,000. And the buyer is actually still happy to purchase at that price because they were going to purchase that property anyway, except now they're making a £10,000 saving. You know, you, on the other hand, have increased your capital gain by £20,000. So both buyer and seller have benefited. The secondary benefit of that is you pay substantially lower capital gains tax on the sale of shares than you do on the sale of property. So even though technically speaking, you are selling the property, officially speaking, you're selling the shares. And so when you exit the investment, you're basically driving up your capital gain by an extra 20 grand, but you're also simultaneously decreasing any capital gains tax liability for it. Now, right. the issue is those properties are in the same company. You can't sell one property by selling the company's shares because you're obviously gifting away value in all of those assets there. If you put them in separate entities, you can you're just selling that SPV on. It's really, really that simple. The time for that, so you can sell it to any investor really easily. Okay. And the secondary reason we do that, and um, is from a, a protection and liability perspective. So one of the big reasons people use companies in general is to limit their personal liability. When um, each property is in its separate entity, you don't just protect your, your personal liability, but you protect your portfolios. So if you've created a company that's got seven properties in and um, they're all mortgaged under that, one thing happens to one property, your whole portfolio is at risk. Now, if somebody cool. sues, 10, ten breaks the leg, and sues you for whatever reason, and you're not covered by whatever insurance you have or you don't have insurance or whatever it is, all of those properties are liable. That entire company is under threat. And it's the same with anything else, a mortgage default or anything else like that. When each property is ring-fenced in its own entity from each other, they're basically legally ring-fenced from each other. So something happening to one doesn't have a knock-on effect to that. The third reason we do it um, it comes down to um, uh, mortgage financing. So often lenders actually prefer them when they're in separate entities. The reason being is lenders similar to that second point, uh, a lending based on risk. So they want to know, well, are we going to get our money back from this? And so when you've got a property holding company with 10 properties in, all with different mortgages, all different things going on, there's a load of liabilities in there for the lender. And so they look at that and think, hmm, that's a, that's a bit more of a risky lend for me. Whereas when you know there's one asset in each company, there's no associated liabilities or other um, uh, assets within that company. It's, it's a much safer lend. And so you, you increase okay. your mortgage lending options and sometimes you, you access better rates and things like that. Okay. Um, and so that's definitely, definitely worth considering. And then there's sort of three or four other elements as well that I'll definitely kind of, uh, I'll send you some information after you can kind of send out be, to people as well. But there, there's I think six or seven reasons in total we do it. Um, and okay. uh, it's, it's essentially the best way to work.
0: No, that's interesting. And then from an equity release standpoint, can you release equity from these properties if it's held in a company or in an SPV? Um, is that still possible? It's the same as, you know, if it was held individually. It's, it's no issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. Limited company mortgages are a bit of a, a, bit of a lie. Well, they're, they're not a lie per se, but they, they're not quite as complex as people make out. So they're, they're pretty much the same as personal loan mortgages. And the reason being is that the lender isn't generally looking at the company. They're looking at what are called the UBOs. That's who's behind the company. So, the ultimate beneficial owners. So, they're looking at the shareholders and the directors. They're going to credit check them. They're going to look at their income levels and they're going to look at them from an AML perspective and things like that. And so, akin to a, a personal name uh, mortgage where you can refinance, it's the same limited company. You, you can refinance. Okay. Um, um, obviously it determined, it's determined by kind of the length of the, the mortgage you're on and the kind of conditions of it. But yes, you, you can,
0: very-, can very much do. That's interesting. I think that's uh, yeah, it. This is all, you know, half of this is very new to me and, and something that there's not many pe- you don't see many people really promoting it in the, in the open market at the moment, unless it's like the groups you mentioned in the past charging two and a half or to close to two grand for and fees. Think, and, and I think, people
1: are scared of it people don't really want to get into the nitty-gritty of it and and even accountants typically are quite old school um you know there's a, there's a very kind of common mantra in the uk i think of people going to that high street accountant i think that's because it feels safe but it's it's not usually very efficient or very effective because they're very uh old school in their thinking and things can be very slow and be very expensive and so what, what we're trying to do is give you know real high level understanding of investment structure to people make it really accessible and hassle-free and then make it really cost-effective as well.
0: Okay, no, that's a, it's good. I think, you know, with technology and, and the way in which things are changing at the moment, we're both in that prop tech world. You could say we both work for, for prop tech businesses. And I think that it's it's evolving now. We're, we're seeing a transformation in the, the technology world and, and the combination with property uh, and businesses like yourself, businesses like Wealthy creating platforms where it makes the process so much easier for our clients to understand. And, and like you touched on at the start, that educational tool, we, do these podcasts to, to help educate our clients on mm-hmm. on things that are changing and and products that are available like get brands offering um and, and trying to make that process as easy as possible possible for them we're trying to be as transparent as possible and i think there's more and more businesses that are making that process as easy as possible and i think like you touched on with you know you go to your high street lender or you go to your high street real estate agent or whoever it may be and it's what you've kind of been embedded from a young age. Your parents would drag you down to the, the local real estate agency and you go look at houses or whatever it may be. And so in your head, you're thinking that's the traditional way of doing it. But now with technology and businesses that are adapting the way in which they work, um, it, it's the, the face-to-face value is losing a lot of what it's power from what it once has, I feel. Um, but, but,
1: uh, I, still, I still do think it's it's very much important. And it's why we're, we, we are a tech company with with a physical face. So they're not speaking to robots, you know, or anything like that. You know, they're not dealing with automated systems. You know, they're dealing with a consultant, and then they're dealing with our operations team, and then everybody else. And I think it's important to maintain that. But you know, yeah. I, I, as you say, in, in years gone by, so, so if you if you're investing in um, stocks and shares in the past, you would call your local stockbroker or your preferred stockbroker, and he would give his take on things. Now, his take might be good, but it also might be bad. But his take is nowhere near as good as what you know really embedded technology that assesses all financial markets yeah. can give you and that's what people have now it's why you know brokers in the conventional sense of what they were in the past and either don't exist anymore or are in a very different role you know whereas um the, the same with properties so you know your account so, 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 so i think something people mistake with accountants as well as assume they're experts and everything most accountants are generalists and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Accountants are, are fantastic at what they do and, and we have our own accountants and things like that. But, yeah. um, you know, property-specific accountants um, uh, are much harder to find. and can be much more expensive. And even when um, you do find them, they can also be very set in their ways. So, for example, owning in separate entities would be very hard for a traditional accountancy firm to promote because it'd be extremely expensive for the client because you'd be replicating that £1,800 pounds, um, a year for each company. And, and they don't have the, the tech or the software to do it easily and, and manage all that. And so if somebody came through with 10 companies, that, that'd be a nightmare for them. That's a huge yeah. amount of time. And for us, that, that that's not a problem at all. That's a
0: couple clips, clicks, 20 minutes later and you're, you're set up, you're ready to go. I like it. It's a, it's a good, a very good proposition. Um, now, in terms of the, the market, again, we'll go back to this point and, and get your predictions on what you can see happening in the next 12 to 24 months. i am be interested to hear your take on it at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the last 10 years or so has been London, London, London. Um, yeah. And, you know, everybody's obsessed with London. And it always has been. People have always fun money at London. But, I mean, I'm sure you're, you yourself know um, yeah. it, it is unfathomably expensive in London. It, it is just off the wall expensive. I think the average property price in London at the moment is something like £500,000, which is just crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's gone to the point where even international investors which used to be the people who propped up the london market and in a way made it so expensive even they are struggling to afford in london right now um and so you know you're, t- you're talking nine hundred thousand pounds for a fancy two bed in battersea you know it's which insane. is a- a- crazy yeah exa- exactly exactly so, so from an investor perspective you're seeing people naturally out of necessity being forced to other parts um, so you're seeing a lot of activity uh, up north, especially in the northwest, and yeah. definitely in the northwest too. Um, so m- my hometown of Liverpool is kind of the yeah. hot topic the last year or two and, and will be probably for a few more years. I'm trying to uh, convince my parents uh, every week to buy, buy more. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, I, I think it's not even just our necessity. I think COVID's been really interesting because during COVID, and um, I don't know if you were the same, but London got a bit a bit scary. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen. And I thought, well, you know, if things are going to get really bad, I'm going to go home to my family home in Liverpool because I'd rather essentially get sick in Liverpool at the time yeah. because it was very, very special. But it was a small place. So I thought maybe you you're getting to hospitals or whatever. But anyway, I, I yeah. spent about a year and maybe three months living and working back in Liverpool. I basically fell in love with Liverpool again and realised what a wonderful city it was. How affordable it was, how well connected yeah. it was to London, because I was still going up all the all the time. You know, it's two hours on a train and quite an affordable train, um, into Euston and Lime Street. And uh, I realised, you know, L- London's great, but you know, it's it's unlivable in the future. I want to live in a really nice city where I can afford things, where it's green, where it's got wonderful atmosphere and nightlife yeah. and culture and things. Like that. And that's what a lot of the UK regional cities have. So a lot of people internationally might not have heard of them, but you know, places like you know Birmingham, Bristol, Liverpool. Liverpool, Manchester, Sheffield, Leeds, Newcastle are tremendous yeah. cities and they're riot. And I think what you're going to have is a real pattern of just an exodus from London. You know, I, I managed to work in the exact same manner that I do in person in London from, you know, 250 miles away for a year and a half. Yeah. And everybody's kind of realized hang about, you know, people used to come to London because that's where the jobs were. And now they've realized, well, hang about, you know, we don't need to be in London for the jobs. And, and the, 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 exactly. you used to have your own cohort who were sort of 35 plus who were like, you know, people 35 and beyond would start to leave London, they'd set their families up elsewhere. What I'm seeing myself now, so I, I'm only 25, but what I'm seeing now is my friends who are of equal age saying, okay, I'm done with London. I'm going to Manchester, yeah. I'm going to Liverpool. Newcastle, I'm going to Birmingham. Um, and companies are following suit. So Birmingham, for example, you know, I think Goldman Sachs has just set up an office in Birmingham. You yeah. said ten it's, years ago, people would laugh at you. Exactly. You know, I'll put it a Birmingham. Yes, uh, have a headquarters in Birmingham, and it's yeah. Manchester the same, and and, and business is starting to flow that way as well. And, you know, the, the the transport networks in the UK are interesting as well. And um, for, for any kind of foreign buyers watching, um, yeah. you the. The UK is very small, it, and it's kind of a, a benefit to it because it means it's really accessible. So even if you're in Liverpool, which on a map looks like a long way away from London, actually physically in the UK, it's I think it's one hour fifty-seven from Lime Street to London, which nice. is a very that's easy commute to do. You know, once maybe twice a week, and I think that's what the working model will become, especially for a lot of professionals. You know, to do three days a week from from home, yeah. and then two days from London, um, you know, I up and down the, the country, and take flights to Manchester and places like that. And so. I think with an exodus of people from um, London um, to Birmingham or Manchester, Bristol, wherever it might be, those cities are just going to take off even more. I, I think agree. capital gains be brilliant there, but I think rental yields would be great there because the more professionals you have um, not basing themselves in London and basing themselves in places like Manchester, Birmingham, wherever it is, um, that, that they can afford you know higher rents. And so rental yields will increase in those places as well. So that's my take, at least
0: no i i agree and there was a stat i saw yesterday actually when i was doing a bit of digging into birmingham and apparently three hundred thousand people have migrated to birmingham in the last decade so in the last 10 years three hundred thousand people have moved up to, to birmingham and you named yeah oh, godman sachs sorry that had moved up there you've got deutsche bank up there as well hsbc have moved the headquarters up there um they, the, i guess the in my head at the moment i see birmingham as a fantastic opportunity i think it's once hs is finished you're what 45 minutes 40-45 minutes to get into central London into Euston Street Uh, mm, it's nothing so I think that I I can see Birmingham really becoming a commuter city in the next let's say three four five years really once everything's I would argue it already is
1: is is the truth I I would argue it already is so so I've had to do some work up in Birmingham and I was mind blown about how quick it was to was to get there as you say Um, and Birmingham as well. It, it is a funny one because I don't think people are quite, a, a lot of people, especially internationally, have never even heard of it. Birmingham's okay. actually the UK's second city. It's the second biggest city in the UK. Um, I, I forget what the actual population um, volume is there. But, um, it's like 1.1 1. Um, 1
0: mil now or something. It's incredible.
1: I, I, I think that might just be the central area. I think beyond it, my, my understanding was it was kind of closer to 2 to 3 million wow. in terms of the kind of total kind of conurbations of it heading out into the Midlands there. Um, okay. And and it's it's I think Birmingham's a bit like Liverpool as well. So so Birmingham and Liverpool in the past had fairly negative stereotypes attached. That they, they, they weren't seen as the most attractive places to be. They're they're, <laughs> they're industrial towns. They're working cities. Yeah, working cities. Um, exactly, they're, they're working cities. And in the industrial revolution, they were, and they were until relatively recently. And they were traditionally quite poor cities. But Liverpool and and Birmingham, especially, and probably Newcastle to a degree, have really shaken off that. Over the last few years, have become these kind of um, cultural centres um, and a and focal point for, for young people, which is always a good thing. I mean, the more young people who decide to stick around in the place and, and build things and build an environment, that actually want to be in off the back of that. Uh, has wonderful repercussions. Liverpool's been like that. It's become an entertainment city. Birmingham's becoming more like that. You know, every time I go up to Birmingham, I'm like, oh, it's actually really nice here. I didn't expect <laughs> it to be at all. You know, british people love their stereotypes you know assuming how things are going. <laughs> yeah, the reality is why you should never trust in the stereotype because no i agree you get, loads pleasure, you get a completely different take on it
0: no, it's uh yeah everything these these cities are changing at the moment they're evolving and i think we we'll soon give it uh, another 12 24 months maybe there'll be another city you mentioned a couple sheffield uh newcastle preston even they'll, they'll start to Receive even more funding from from government grants and, and infrastructure projects to be put into these cities, but we'll, uh, time will tell with those ones. But I, I'm keeping keeping a very close mm-hmm. eye on Newcastle. I think that's an opportunity at the moment.
1: I, but, I agree completely as well, and and especially you know, so, so Newcastle's not very far to Edinburgh, um, and, and Edinburgh is a business kind of focal point. is it, it, growing rapidly as well. I mean, there are already significant kind of business opportunities and business operations up there, as well as kind of you know universities and things like that. Um, and it's commutable, and and as these you know train networks HS2, HS3 get better and better, and the UK becomes even smaller. So it's already small with kind of what people yeah. would often complain about is not great train lines. So you know, imagine what it would be like when actually those you know come into play, and how.
0: Um, yeah, you,
1: you, yeah. I think we'll have a very different uh, living situation in the UK. People will be living a lot further from where they work um, and muting yeah. uh, in a much shorter time.
0: To come in. Cool. No, that's good. Good little roundup there. I like that. I think there's a, a lot of optimism on the horizon for the UK in terms of property prices. But the last question uh, and what I'd like to finish up with with uh, all of my guests is more of a general question around what does a wealthy life mean to you?
1: A wealthy life? Oh, God. <laughs> um billions and billions and billions of pounds
0: um, be nice. no, no,
1: no, certainly not i mean it's probably fairly cliche but i suppose it, it it's it's a it's a balanced life it's you know wealth not just in terms of you know what's in your bank account but you know you know your, your, your contentness your your physical health your your, your overall happiness is, is probably a good gauge of that but your, your financial investments often i mean people always talk about it, you know and say oh money's not everything and it's certainly true but Playing with your money in the right way and putting it into the right things allows that life. Is the is the point? It allows freedom. I think freedom is probably the big. Part. Again, it's a very yeah. cliche
0: term. A wealth no, I completely so, agree. Then, it's c- being able c- to enjoy, you know, c- enjoy c- the things you want to yeah. do in life. Essentially,
1: c- first, yeah, and cliches exist for a reason. Um, and prop- property as a whole, I mean, it's uh, it's it's fascinating. It's it's the only asset class that gives you basically a lifestyle you can live off. So, so as good as stocks and shares might be and as wonderful as the returns might be. And, you know, unless you have vast, vast numbers of shares you can't really live off dividend income, you know, you can in terms of rental yield. I mean, and many people do live off rental yield and it doesn't take as many properties as you think to do it. Um, And and once you get into a position um, where, you know, the yield from your rental properties is paying your mortgage, I think that's always a very common goal for people, and I think it's a wonderful place to be at. And so, and, and it's not particularly unachievable. Um, and, uh, property is property as an asset class is great as well because it's understandable. You know, people are often put off by investing in general because it seems complex, and yep. it seems scary. so, there's numbers going everywhere. We don't know how companies operate, and you know, we don't know how value goes up and down. And uh, investing is for rich people. Well, actually. Well, it's for everyone and, and it's you know property is very tangible you know people understand how a property works yeah. so you buy a
0: property,
1: you go touch it you get all people to do the work for you including us and yeah. you hold it in that and you get paid every month essentially and the value of that asset increases over exactly. time yeah. if you want to increase it even more you can add an extension or you can do yeah. this or you can do that. and it's so it's it's, it's a really not, interesting class and i think um I mean, it's it's definitely part of my wealth plans, put it that way. I mean, I'm yeah. obviously biased in the industry, but 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 it is true, and there's there's always that, again, it's another cliche line, but you you hear things banded around the, the place, like so, you know, eighty percent of millionaires are millionaires through property investments, you okay. um, know, commercial or or residential, and so and I don't know how accurate those figures are, but the general point is, you know, it has reduced the a lot of people. Yeah, well. <laughs> no, so, that's good. Uh, I like it. And it's, um, I think the final point I would make about the UK as well is um, I think the UK is turning into a much similar setup to a lot of European countries. So in Germany, for example, the vast majority of people people don't own their own homes. They rent and they rent for their entire lifespan. Now, some people take a negative approach to that and say that's that's not good. We want to own our homes and things like that. But the, the quality of life in Germany is pretty, pretty wonderful. And and they, they have a very nice standard of living and it's the way it's done that most people don't own their property. They they rent it forever and they have rent controls and things like that and a very high quality of living. I think the UK is going the same way as a lot of European countries are in that regard and becoming a much, uh, much more of a renters economy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great position for potential analysts to get to get in on yeah. early essentially.
0: Exactly. Get in now take advantage of, of that opportunity definitely I'm looking to do it at the moment so uh, I'm sure you and I will be having some dealings very soon but thank you very much for, for joining me on the show today it's been fantastic to have a chat and for anyone listening uh anywhere in the world really please feel free to reach out to myself or Liam uh, and more than happy to to help uh, on both ends from a, from an investment standpoint and helping you find the property that you're looking to acquire and then pass you on to Liam, who will be able to help structure that in an effective manner, essentially. So thank it, you very much. Just
1: a final point there. I think I mentioned it yeah. briefly before. If anybody watching does want a consultation or to understand what a limited company is, how it could be beneficial for their situation, etc. And um, everything's completely free. So um, please thank reach you. out to Chris or myself, and we can get something set up with one of the okay. consultants at a time at Sushi.
0: That'd be fantastic. Thank you, everyone, who's tuned in today. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, and we'll be back next week with another episode. But thank you again, Liam, and it's been a pleasure talking Always to you. Thank you very much
1: for Chris. Appreciate it. You.